Thanks, Justin. Good evening. It's great to see you tonight. Let's, um, I hope you've got your notes. If you don't have your notes, um, we're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 4. We're going to read a, a lengthy portion tonight. Um, I miss being with you last week. I was, um, I, I was, had spent some time at a prayer retreat and, and uh, I was out. But um, I know you had a great, uh, great time with our missionaries last week and a great time in worship. It's uh, good to have Galen and Dickie um, Hurtwick with us tonight, more of our missionary family. I apologize to you guys for us giving you what I call such a cold greeting with these masks and everything. We, um, we've spent 25 years telling people to hug everybody you can, and now four or five months telling them not to hug anybody. So we're, we're, we're in a tough spot right now. But uh, we have been talking about the life of Moses. You're going to hear from them in just a, a, a few moments. We're, um, we've been studying the life of Moses. We're on part five. We talked about the condition that Israel found herself in. We talked about the birth of Moses and the role that his parents played, uh, being guardians of him for just a short period of time. But um, Hebrews 11 tells us that Amram and Jochebed were, were phenomenal people of faith. And you think of the influence that they had over little Moses and only had him for a little while. Uh, it's a tremendous story. Then we talked about uh, the events of Moses' life, his efforts in the flesh and his efforts in the spirit, his rejection and his fleeing into the wilderness. Then we talked about the purpose of the wilderness. And tonight we want to talk about getting started in your calling. Now, I, I, want, to, um, I want to make kind of a strong statement here. But I want to be sure I say it well so it's not misrepresented. It's not a judgmental statement when I say this. But um, I'm part of a group that I won't mention the name of. And I mean, I don't mean the Assemblies of God. I am part of the Assemblies of God. But I'm part of a group of ministers. I've been a part of for years. Um, it, it's not an AG ministry, but um, it's, it, it's, a, it's a valid ministry with some tremendous men and women of God. Um, I've been going to the meetings for years, and I've, I'm honored to be a part of it. I love it. But the first few years, year after year, I would listen. I would fellowship around the tables, and I would go back to the room. I remember telling Justin one time when I came back, he said, how was the conference? I said, it was great, but I said, there's something I can't put my finger on that I'm struggling with a little bit. I, I, I said, it's nothing like hypocrisy or evil, but something's just not hitting on all cylinders. And it took me probably a, another couple of years to figure out what it was. And I'm gonna say it as gently as I can, but as forcefully as I can. They are a group of uh, men and women that put their emphasis on apostolic ministry. And um, which I think is legitimate. I think it's valid. I don't agree with everything that the group uh, believes. It's just too diverse. It's an international group, um, multi-denominational. But I began to pin it down. And this is what I realized, I think, that many, not all, but many in that group were saying. They define an apostle differently than I do. 
Um, an apostle is a person that is divinely called for a special purpose. And if I'm reading Paul right, an apostle leads the way in suffering sometimes. And an apostle is, if, if it's a real apostle, he'll, he'll have, just like the other fivefold ministry gifts, he or she will have a, a really dramatic um, life of service. But what this group defines an apostle as is somebody that, when it boiled right down to it, somebody that was really sharp in business um, uh, or, or they had what they called the anointing of an apostle just was a type A squared personality. Uh, it was a personality thing. And I realized that um, for those years I attended the conference, and please, I, I embraced the group, I love the group. It, it, this is not a criticism, it's an observation. But for years I attended and I realized what was missing was what I had seen in every man and woman of God I'd studied through the years. Um, and it was in, certainly in the life of some of those uh, apostolic men and women. I, I know that. But something that I found to be true in my studies of church history, studies of great Christians, my own private study of men and women of faith, there seems to be something that is absolutely common. I'm, I'm prepared to say this. It's common in every great man and woman of God, uh, and, and by, I'm talking about in ministry, that I think I've ever studied or ever known. And it is this. Every one of them went through a time of great humbling when they felt totally inadequate for what they were called to do. Um, I, I, I am, I'm even prepared to say this, you know, I've reached the age you can say it. And then if, if it's not good, you can just say, I don't remember saying that, you know, <laughs> but, um, by the way, I've tried that with my wife. It doesn't work, but, um, I, I, I am prepared to say that, um, until a person knows the feeling of Paul wrestling with that thorn in the flesh, where they had to say, I have learned that when I am weak, then I am strong. That his strength is made perfect in my weakness. I'm prepared to say until you get to that point, um, you're never going to achieve everything God wants you to be. And, and, and I've told people uh, that, that have worked for me through the years, I said, you're not in trouble if you don't feel up to this task. You're in trouble if you're sure you can do it. And do it better than people that came before you. That's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be. And um, I want to talk to you from Moses' perspective about getting started in your calling. Moses, um, a few years ago, was named the um, fourth most influential human being that has ever lived. Jesus Christ was number one. And then um, I think number two was uh, Lenin, and number three was Mao Zedong, and then number four was Moses. And I'm not sure that Moses might not ought to be in the number two slot because of his being so revered by Jews and Muslims as, as well as the, the, the Christian community. But when you read the, the beginning of Moses' life, <laughs> it was not, you know... God, you're lucky to have me on your team. It was anything but that. Let's read 
chapter 4 of Exodus, and let's see how Moses got started with his calling. Moses answered, and he's talking to God. God has appeared to him in the burning bush. You know, we talked about um, finding your burning bush, and, you know, after, after we talked about the wilderness. <clears throat> and Moses answered God. God's telling him to go back to Egypt. What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second but if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And guys, when I read this, I am amazed at how much God wants to help us believe. I mean, not only the Moses, uh, you know, that might be among us, but just everyday people, God is eager to help us believe. He said, the water you take uh, from the river will become blood on the ground. And Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And we talked two or three weeks ago about what that meant um, when he said, I was, I'm slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Now I got to interrupt myself again. It's at this point, if I'd been God, Showing my muscle, I'd have said, well, I can speed up your mouth. I can make you talk well. But guys, I want to tell you, God seldom accommodates himself to us. But he wants to show himself mighty in our weakness. Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? And, and scholars are divided over whether the Lord's being sarcastic here, saying, well, you know, or if the Lord really was accommodating a weakness of Moses. And I've, I know in scripture that God has done both. Sometimes he's answered with sarcasm, you know, like Elijah's confrontation of the prophets of Baal. He was very sarcastic. Of course, that was Elijah, but speaking for the Lord. Uh, but then there are other times that he, he accommodates. He told um, Ezekiel to make a fire using human dung, but that was unclean. And Ezekiel said, please, Lord, I've never done anything like that. And the Lord says, okay, you can use uh, the excrement of animals instead of humans. So God accommodates us sometimes. He said, well, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. 
I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform signs with it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, go and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons. I got to tell you this, an uncle of mine um, <clears throat> finally started coming to family reunions and uh, I won't call him by name because his children are all still alive. And I said, well, uncle so-and-so, I said, what, what made you finally start coming? to family reunions after staying away for so many years. And his answer was that of Moses. I figured that those that wanted to kill me are dead. And uh, it's a long story, but it was funny. Um, Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders that I've given you the power to do but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And I'm only going to take about 30 seconds to deal with this because I've already been asked by someone about it. Uh, we've dealt with this before, so I, I don't want to um, <clears throat> spend too much time there. But whenever you see passages, especially with Pharaoh, and that's not the only one, um, but where God says, I will harden their heart or I will put it in their heart or I will, sometimes it means that God simply put it in their heart, gave them the thought or what have you. But there's a, a Hebraism, which basically means this. When God said, I will harden his heart, it wasn't God saying, I will not let Pharaoh make a good decision. But he said, I will be the cause. I will be the reason for his hardened heart. And I think that's not true in every case, but I think that's true with Pharaoh. God was not saying, I won't let Pharaoh let you go. He was saying, Pharaoh will be offended by me. And at the end of the day, I will be so offensive to him that I will be the cause of his hardened heart. So it wasn't like Pharaoh had no choice. Um, but he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. As I told you, let my son go that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord led him along, alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. And in another message, we've talked about this, what was behind that. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he uh, met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say. So, and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. There's one verse that I want to just quickly refer to in the book of Acts in Stephen's sermon. 
Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. Part of that process of working through, I'm weak without him, is you will find this mysterious thing at work. Um, it was said by Jesus and was true of his own self. No prophet is without honor except in his own town, his own country, and among his own people. Um, it's, it's a mysterious thing. It's a mysterious thing. But I think it's part of, um, it, it might be a thorn in the flesh to some people. It might be part of just the fellowship of his sufferings. But in this process of feeling worthy to do the work of the Lord, you'll find that among the last to believe in you, and it's not because they don't love you, among the last is often your family or those closest to you. Um, I, I wondered about this, and one time I heard a preacher say, well, it's because we're all hypocrites at heart and our family knows what we're really like. Oh, I don't think that's it. That certainly wasn't true of Jesus. But Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him until after the resurrection. I think that there is something, if I can speak without being too mystical, I think there is just something in the spiritual realm that God in his mercy to make us lean into him, God puts difficult things in our lives that we have to try to navigate through. And the purpose of all of these things is, I mean, the purpose of all of these things is to help us lean more fully upon him. Um, the, the message tonight basically just has, um, three parts and you can see there in your notes, the third is the Christian life lessons. The first is I want to explain what Moses was saying. And then second, I want to explain what God was saying, and then we'll make some applications for our, our own life. Moses, his argument can be summed up this way. There are reasons I cannot do this. Um, and let me say this, um, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that I'm an ideal pastor or ideal preacher or anything like that. Um, the older I get, there, there are more and more that my list of things I do differently or try to do better, it just gets longer and longer. But I, I want to tell you, um, I was, I, I served the Lord, I'm like, uh, like third generation Pentecostal. I served the Lord in a very uh, conservative, very traditional church in a very conservative, very traditional district. And everything, everything that was fun was either illegal, immoral, or fattening. Um, it, it was such a hard life that um, when I told my mom that I felt called to preach, and she was one of the godliest women I've ever known in my life, she broke down in tears and just started weeping. I thought it was tears of joy. Uh, you say, well, what made you think they weren't tears of joy? Well, it might've been that she kept saying, oh my God, oh no, oh my God. And she, she, she was not happy that I was called to preach. And she said, she, she said this, she said, baby, and that's, I always knew that she was reaching down deep into the innermost part of her life when she called me baby. She said, you are not wired to be a preacher. And, and she said, I don't mean that, that there's anything wrong with you. But let me, let me just say this. She had come from a background where the average stay of a pastor at her home church 
was approximately nine months. There had been attacks on the lives of the pastors that had served in her church. And that was from the deacon or a deacon, I should say. Um, and she, she was terrified. She said, you are too tenderhearted to go into ministry. And that wasn't true. I mean, I, I hope I'm tenderhearted, but I wasn't too tenderhearted. But she was, what she was trying to tell me is that this is not going to be an easy thing like you think. See, because I was raised in a church where we idolized our pastor. Uh, as far as we were concerned, he was Jesus Jr., you know. And I couldn't envision uh, people not loving their pastor, but she had a perspective I didn't have. And um, I, I, I told her but before she died, I said, you know, um, I said, she, she brought it up. She said uh, she saw you people and she, she saw how loved we were at this church. And we were blessed to have mom as a part of this church before she went to heaven. She said, I, I've never seen people love their pastor like they love you. And I'm, I'm so sorry for what I told you when you were 15 years old and felt called to preach. And I, I looked at her and I laughed. I said, Mother, there are many, many days I wish I'd listened to you. I, I, and of course, I was talking about, I mean, I'm not trying to be, before I came here, you've never made me feel that way. But I have felt that way. And we've laughed about it. We talked about it. But you know what I found out is that I, even after I, was, I settled the issue of the Lord's calling, there were things that I wrestled with for this reason. What she was trying to say was true in this respect. I didn't fit the mold of a preacher from our tradition. Um, I, I, I don't... I don't mean that the mold was wrong or that I was wrong. I just didn't fit the mold. Um, where I grew up, when you preached, if you didn't get your hair in your eyes and preach your shirt tail out and have about three inches of your pants leg under your shoe, you hadn't preached. And um, for the first couple of years I preached, those people in that church, they loved me, they prayed for me. But for a good two years, the thing I heard more than anything was not amen or praise the Lord. It was help him, Jesus, help him, Jesus. And, and, um, I asked my pastor, I said, uh, brother Stevenson, what, what, what is wrong with me? Why, why are people feeling like they need to weep and wail and intercede for me? And, uh, he put his arm around me and laughed. He said, Brother Steve, he says, you just don't spit far enough. You don't yell loud enough. He said, and he mentioned a couple other things. He said, but don't ever do that because that's not who you are. And that was, that was solid advice. It could have backfired on him because I was just in those very formative days. He said, I want you to preach. And he, he would, um, it, it, it was a small church. It's not like ours. Um, I'd go to church and on Sunday night and he'd, I'd see him do this during uh, a testimony time or something. And, and I'd come up to him. I, you know, at first I thought he wants me to get him some water or something. But I can't tell you how many times he leaned over and said, you're preaching tonight. I had no idea that I was preaching that night. Or I might have heard from the Lord and prepared a sermon. I tell you what I did learn to do. I learned to always have a sermon in my Bible because I never knew when he was going to call on me. 
And uh, he, I tell you what, he just, he turned me loose. And, but he always said, be yourself. Uh, now, we're shaped by what we're raised in. Some people have said, Pastor, why do you preach so long? Well, he also gave me the jail service. And I knew those people weren't going anywhere. So I learned to preach in Escambia County Jail. And I knew I could go as long as I wanted to. Ain't nobody leaving. And um, I guess it just carried over. But let me tell you, honestly, I have struggled with uh, probably the first I don't think I'm exaggerating. Probably the first 12 or 15 years of ministry, I struggled with what I was not and found it difficult to focus on what I was. Moses went through the same thing. He said, number one, I don't know enough. Moses said to God, suppose I say to them, God sent me to you. What's his name? And um, God said, I am who I am. That's what you to say, the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. So he said, there's the danger that I don't know enough. And God says, you're representing the great I am. He said, what if they don't believe me? Um, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? I, I brought that up to my pastor one time. And um, he, one of his favorite characters in the Old Testament, Daniel and Jeremiah, he loved those two. And that's probably why I love them so much. He said, let me, let me tell you what the Lord said to Jeremiah. He, and he said, he said it to Ezekiel. He says, these, these mighty men of God going into their prophetic ministry, the Lord told them both, the people will not believe you. Um, to Jeremiah, he said, from the view of the people. And when you read the whole book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah's ministry would be considered a failure to his contemporaries. God told him going into it. He told Ezekiel the same thing. He said, they will not believe you. Uh, he, he could have said to Ezekiel, they won't even understand you. But God's estimation of success in life and ministry Royal Rangers, Sunday school, missions, whatever it is. His estimation of success is seldom the same as ours. Seldom the same as ours. Remember, we live in an upside down kingdom where the first are last and the last are first. Um, they may not believe me. I don't know enough. And then he said, I'm not gifted enough. Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And he finally leads, to, leads up to number four. He says, uh, I'm not as good a choice as others. Please send someone else. And um, that was the response of Moses. Lord, I don't know enough. And even what I know, they probably won't believe you need to get someone else who's more gifted than me to communicate this. And Moses was saying, there are reasons I can't do this. But God responds, there are reasons why you can do this. Here's number one. You know me. You know me. God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's what you were saying to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. There's so much in that phrase, I am that we don't have time to unpack tonight. But, um, you know, when, when Jesus, we're going to, this is the text I'm going to be preaching from Sunday in John uh, 18. 
where Jesus said, who are you seeking to those that had come to arrest him in the garden? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he, or basically a go me. Jesus said, I am. He said the same thing, uh, used the same phrase that God used to identify himself to, um, to Moses. And I, I mean, it was a common phrase, but that phrase, I am, was loaded with such power that all of the, the mob that came to arrest Jesus were knocked to the ground backwards at the, at the residual power of that. Uh, he says, you're going to be okay because you know me, Moses. Um, Israel had worshiped God from the beginning. Um, they, they went into bondage uh, nearly 400 years earlier and they all knew who Yahweh was. They, they, they all knew who God was. They knew God's power. Uh, you know, but as we said in our, in our Bible study, God wants us to not only understand his hand, he wants us to understand his heart. And God started doing something way back with Abraham and it got intensified with Moses. God said, you know my power, you know me as God Almighty. But he said, I also want you to know me as Jehovah. Jehovah is my covenant keeping name. This is how you're going to learn about me. And he said, uh, you know, I am Jehovah Sidkenu. I am Jehovah Makedesh. I am Jehovah Shalom. I am Jehovah Rohi. I am, you know, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi. And he gave them all. You see it all through the Old Testament, but especially in those early days, God, God gave um, Israel a set of compound names. I am the God in covenant with you who makes you righteous. You know, uh, I'm the God in covenant with you who keeps you righteous. I'm the God in covenant with you who is your victory, uh, banner of victory. I'm the Lord who heals you. I'm the Lord who is present with you. I'm the Lord that gives you peace. And inherent in the very ministry of Moses, God was saying, not only Moses, do you know me? But he said, I am going to take you on a path where you will know not only my power, but you will know my heart. You have, I have appeared to you, Moses. I have touched your life. I have called you. You have a connection with me. I have chosen you. And number one, you can do this because you know me. And number two, um, he says, you may not understand that, but you can sum it up with this general statement. They will listen to you because of me. I will touch their hearts. I will condition their lives. He says, you can go to a how to win friends and influence people class if you want to. You can learn how to be a polished speaker if you want to. And I don't think there's anything wrong with us doing everything we can to be the best us we can be. But he was saying, Moses, at the, at the end of the day, they will listen to you because I will touch their hearts and I will draw them. Um, you know, I've, I've, I, one of my big questions when I began to pastor is, you know, I, I said, Lord, I, I can't make these people do anything. And the Lord helped me understand, I've called you to be an effective leader to a people that will do what you tell them to do because you ask them. You have no power over them. You can't take their income from them. You can't put them in jail if they don't obey. 
He said, the rest of your life will be spent leading people upon whom I've touched their hearts to follow you. Boy, that was a hard thing to grasp, but that's what Moses was doing, um, or God was doing for Moses. He said, several things are going to happen because of me. He said, the leaders of Israel will recognize my grace upon you. Pharaoh will see my works come forth at your command. You're to carry this staff as a sign and a reminder. Signs will follow. God said, you know me and I will touch the heart of the people. And here's the third thing, letter C on your outline. I will gift you to speak for me. I will give you the spiritual qualifications that you need for it to make sense to the people to follow you. Um, Paul would echo this to the Corinthians. He said, and, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when he says, I resolved to know nothing except Jesus and him crucified, he said, I'm not going to get into philosophical arguments. I'm not gonna get into political arguments. I'm not gonna get into myths and legends. Everything that I talk to you about will be the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I came in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. God says, I'm going to give you favor. I'm going to cause them to hear you and I'm going to give you uh, ministry gifts that will make them say, this is a man worth following. Number four, this kind of blew Moses away, I suspect. He says, the bottom line, they will follow you because you are my choice. You are my choice. And uh, how do we wrap all of this up as, as we learn from Moses? How do we go? Now, we talked about the burning bush. We talked about the experience in the wilderness. We, we talked about um, God involving himself in the conditions of our lives. Um, you know, we say, we quote that a lot that, you know, about Esther, you know, you've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. And um, I believe that, but we really need to believe that we are not accidents. We are born into the generation that God intended. We are here by divine decree for this day and age. What are the Christian life lessons? Number one, God is always aware of the opposition you will face. As I said, Jeremiah, Jesus, Moses, why in the world would we think it would be less for us? Why, why do we think that Jesus and Jeremiah and Moses, for instance, deserved opposition, but somehow we don't, you know? But the good thing is that God is aware of the opposition that you will face. Now you think about that. What kept Jeremiah steady through imprisonments and persecution, um, so much self-sacrifice? God told him at the beginning, this is going to be a tough road. You're not going to be accepted. But I don't think that Jeremiah had the foggiest notion. I don't think he had the, the, the foggiest notion that 2,500 years later, he would be a household word. But God said, you're going to have opposition. And number two, you've got to believe this, loved ones. Your gifts are perfect for the job. 
You have been created for the job God has given you to do. I told you about, you know, earlier about the West Florida template. I didn't, I didn't fit the traditional mold. And, and, and th- that mold wasn't wrong. I, I love, I, I, I grew up in that. It brought me to Jesus. It got me full of the Holy Ghost. I love that mold. It doesn't bother me at all. One of my favorite preachers will get ranting and raving. He'll preach the word of God and then he'll just get off on something. He's, he's from the West and he wears cowboy boots when he preaches. He said, I just grew up believing that people that wore low cuts were sissies, you know. And, 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 and I just, I love everything about him. I love everything about him. But if I tried to do that, I'd have a heart attack 15 minutes going into it. Um, I'm thankful for a pastor. I don't even think my family understood this. Um, I, I mean, I, and I can, I can count on my fingers the number of family members that ever came to hear me preach. I, I'm talking about outside my mom and dad um, that, that ever came to hear me preach until I was in my 40s. Uh, they, they didn't understand. Um, I remember one time some relatives asked me, I, I went to visit uh, um, uh, uh, one of my loved ones. And they said, the woman next door is dying. And um, she wants to talk to a preacher. And I said, well, I'll, I'll be glad to go talk to her. And they said, mm, not today. And um, I said, well, is today a bad day? I, can, I, I don't mind waiting. And, and to make a long story short, I was on vacation and I was wearing shorts and a T-shirt. And they didn't want me to appear as a preacher in shorts and a T-shirt. Well, I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll dress better next time. Uh, and when I came back, she was dead. And as far as I know, no preacher ever went and talked to her. And um, I, 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 that's when I really began to realize th- there can be a bondage attached to so much religiosity. Um, this, this, lady, this lady passed away without having anybody talk to her because they didn't want a preacher to wear shorts. Now I admit, when you see my legs, that probably could have been wisdom. But um, the, the funny thing about it is that maybe two weeks before I had visited my mom and dad's neighbor, she was dying. And um, I, I said to her, you know, I just wanted to come by and pray for you. And I, I said, um, I just wanna know, is everything okay between you and the Lord? Do you have any questions? And I talked to her about the plan of salvation. She said, I've been a church member all my life, but nobody ever told me I could know that I was going to heaven. Nobody ever told me that I could be saved. And this dying woman took my arm and said, you're telling me that right now today, I can know that I'm going to go to heaven because I am terrified. I said, you can know right now. And we prayed and she just cried and, and just had a wonderful experience with the Lord. Her husband thanked me. And the funny thing about it is I was wearing shorts and t-shirt when I went to see her, you know. So God, God can even use, you know, somebody wearing shorts and a t-shirt. And I'll tell you something else I have found. God is so eager to help us that sometimes he will allow help that we don't even really need. He didn't, need, he didn't need Aaron. And I think about there are times, time won't permit me to go into it, but I think there are times God really accommodated my, my fear and let me have something to lean on that I didn't really need to lean on. But he's just like that. He's gracious. God will often accommodate our baggage until we're ready to cast 
cast it away. You know, Moses had this powerful encounter with God. What does he tell Jethro? Well, I just want to go back and see if my family's still alive. Mm, uh, but God accommodates us. And three other things quickly. When I was at Southeastern, uh, Brother Homer, who was the president of the school then, uh, Cyril Homer, he, he, said, he said the greatest thing, he said there's two things you need to learn during your four years at Southeastern. And he said, it's not Greek and Hebrew. It's not the kings of Israel and Judah. It's not this, that, or the other. And I thought, boy, he's cutting away at my list pretty well here. He said, number one, you can't learn everything in four years, but you need to learn how to study because you're going to be studying the rest of your life. He said, but most importantly, you need while you're here, and most of you don't know how to do this, but you need to learn during your four years how to recognize the voice of God. You need to come away from Southeastern, in those days, Bible college. You need to come away with, a, with an understanding of this is the voice of God. And this is what I, what I must obey. So I would say learn the voice of God. This is in your notes, isn't it? This part, okay. Uh, number four, trust the power of God. You and I will never be good enough or talented enough or skilled enough to do what God has called us to do. We'll always need the power of God. And I want to tell you this, follow the plan of God. God has a plan, even if we don't understand it, God has a plan. He may tell you something that makes absolutely no sense at that moment, but it will make sense later. I, I told you, I won't, I won't spend a lot of time on this, but I told you how I was in um, South Carolina in 1984. There was a church opening and I was investigating it. I thought God might be leading us to that church and he didn't. But we had um, my, my sister-in-law, my wife's sister lived here at the time. So we came over to Columbia to see her. I was getting ready to go preach at that other church that I really hoped was the will of God. And right out here in Bush River Road, I mean, right here in front of the church, well, right here in front of the church, I pulled up and my sister-in-law said, this is Christian Life Assembly. This is where Steve Brown is pastor. And God spoke to me as clearly as I think I'd ever heard him up to that time. He said, it's not so-and-so church that I want you to pastor. This is the church that you're going to pastor. And um, I said, well, is this, is this church open? She said, oh, no, Steve Brown's pastor. He'll never leave. He'll be here forever. And I really wrestled with that because I said, Lord, I, that obviously was the devil because you're not going to move a man to, to make me be pastor. You know, I mean, that's... that's that's not the way it works. I was an associate pastor one time. A, a lady came up to me and she said, uh, I was a youth pastor. She said, Lord told me you're going to be pastor of this church, that he was tired of so-and-so and he wants you to be pastor. And um, I said, I grabbed her by the arm. I said, well, let's go tell him so he'll know that he's not to be pastor anymore. And of course, she didn't want to do that. But, uh, and I told the pastor about it. I wasn't going to be any part of that. It was repulsive to me, the thought of coming to a church that already had a pastor. It, just repulsive. But what, I, and, I, and I tried to, you know, I rebuked the devil. I tried to get it out of my mind, but I, I, I couldn't get it out of my mind. And the Lord finally told me, he said, you, there was a phrase that we had worked through with some tough times. He said, just put it on the back burner and you don't understand now, but you'll understand. And 10 years later, al almost to the week, 10 years later, I got a call 
that Steve Brown had been elected superintendent, would I be interested in talking to the board, you know? I mean, it wasn't an invitation, it was a, are you interested? And, and, and I, I realized that I didn't understand 10 years earlier, but I began to understand that God's plan can always be trusted. And sometimes you just need to let it cook a while. Sometimes you just need to let it cook a while. But um, that's, that is um, how we get hold of our ministry. That's how we get started in our calling. Um, don't ever go in the confidence of the flesh, but go in the confidence of God. I, I want to say to anybody here, and I know during, during the pandemic, it's not likely anybody's out on Wednesday night that's not already a devoted follower of Jesus. I know that. But if you are, or if you're listening online, and you've never made a commitment of faith to Jesus Christ, that's where all of this starts. Three simple steps. We admit that we're a sinner. We believe that Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins. And we confess him as our Lord. Um, we, we think church membership is important, but that's not what, gets you, what makes you a Christian. We believe that discipleship is important. You know, some, some churches call it catechism. We believe all that's important. But it all begins with a decision to say, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. I admit that I'm a sinner. I know that you're the savior and I want you to be the, the, the solution for my sins. Um, if you're here tonight and you do want prayer, please see me or Justin. Uh, if, you, if you're listening online, call the church, call the church or, or go to the website and um, just contact the church and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. And you will immediately be connected with somebody that can help you know how to walk that out and how to become a child of God. God bless you. I love you. Pastor Justin, come. God bless you.